Welcome to the Outdoor Country Talk Podcast, hosted by Jacob Poole and Jeremy Shaw, where we bring country living and the great outdoors together. Welcome back to another episode of Outdoor Country Talk, back with our fine folks over at Delta Waterfowl. Poole, how are you today, man? Man, we are rocking and rolling, you know, just trying to trying to beat the heat, and today I got all in it, so... Yeah, I did too. We we actually had our first uh, first soccer practice of the of the season in. So so yeah, man. We are. Uh, I guess that means maybe kind of get close to fall. I know dove season getting around the corner here in Mississippi. Our field draw hunts opened up uh, three days ago. So we're we're getting getting close, my friend. Every day it's getting closer. I've got it on the calendar, just marking it off. <laughs> We just, need the open, weather. So. we just need the weather to feel like it's getting close, right? Well, let me let me go ahead and throw this out there before we get too deep in this podcast. Sunday morning, my wife gets up and she walks outside and she come back in and she said, oh, she said, I can feel the fall in the air. And I'm like, I don't know what you fell off of, <laughs> but you're not feeling fall in the air. It was not the autumn season, huh? No, it was not. <laughs> it was 85 and starting to cook on Sunday. So, no, it was not. Fall was not in the air. Uh but I'm glad she had that feeling, and and hopefully she continues to have that feeling. So, but you know, talking about that, yeah. and talking about Delta Waterfowl, we've got you know a pretty cool podcast today with one of the guys that really in the area that we like to focus on the most. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, today, y'all, we've got Mr. Joel Bryce with Delta Waterfowl. Mr. Joel, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing great, guys. I appreciate the opportunity to join you. Look, absolutely man good to have you you know awesome. as well as you know uh we we had to visit with with dr scott a couple of weeks ago and you know we we enjoy talking about duck hunting and we we both are very adamant into delta waterfowl so yeah us having the opportunity to be able to talk about this is always right up our alley well again like i said appreciate that opportunity and um you know we're all the way up here in north dakota and uh it's you know we we cover the entire united states and canada you know, with the work we do, and and uh, I tell you, one of my my favorite places to to go and talk to are are you know our folks in the south. So this is absolutely a a treasure. So I appreciate it. Well, we're glad you were able to make it on with us today. Do us a favor. Go ahead and uh, before we get too far into Delta, kind of give us a little background on you. Let our let our listeners know who we're talking to and kind of your role with Delta. Yeah, no, sounds great. Yeah, so Joel Bryce is my name, and I guess my title is Vice President of Waterfowl and Hunter Recruitment Programs, and I guess that's kind of a, a long way of saying I have the coolest job at Delta. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but uh, you know, my the the two areas that I oversee and 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 guide for Delta are our duck production programs, and I think the two most recognizable that people hear of are predator management. And hen houses, and those are really cool duck producing tools that, you know, that we deliver across Prairie Canada and, uh, Prairie United States. And the other half, which I tell you what, it's what blows my hair back is the hunter recruitment side. And, you know, I, I grew up in a hunting family, long line of hunters, and it would have been really weird for me not to have been a hunter. It just, I just had all the opportunities. It was the culture that I grew up in, the people that, you know, that I surrounded myself with. 
And, you know, all the way through my upbringing in West Central Wisconsin and all my college and my early jobs, I never would have imagined that the future of hunting was in jeopardy. And when I came to Delta in 2001, you know, one of the things about being the Duck Hunters organization is that's who we deal with. That's who we talk to. That's who we represent. And man, it pulled the, pulled the wool over. You know, I, I, just my eyes became wide open to the issues out there with hunting. And I had no idea that people didn't want hunting to continue or that people were maybe losing interest and not participating as much. So, you know, the, like I said, the, the exciting part, you know, we call it Hunter 3. And that R3 at the end of Hunter 3 stands for recruitment and retention and reactivation of, of hunters. And so we have a series of programs that, you know, that one of them is led by our chapter system and our volunteers called First Hunt. We have the University Hunting Program and a hunting advocacy program called Defending the Hunt. And it's all to secure the future of waterfowl hunting. And, and that's where it's at. With our chapter, you know, we've said it on here, you know, many times before that, you know, that's kind of why we started our chapter was the getting people involved in the hunting with, you know, something they may not have the opportunity to if we don't, you know, have our, uh, have our event every year. So Delta enables us to do that for our local community. And that's the main reason we wanted to start our Delta chapter is to pretty much build off of what you just talked about right there. It, it, exactly. And so, you know, first hunt, that's the name for that exact effort that you're doing. So a chapter. You know, a group of duck hunters says, hey, we want to we wanna represent Delta, represent ourselves, represent our local community. We'll raise some money for you, Delta, to do the good work. But we want to keep some of that to do local work, whether it's nest structures or scholarships or hunter recruitment. And, and it's a great partnership. You know, you're not just dumping in that black box, blindly supporting Delta. You're doing that work locally. We call that first hunt. And... It is so impactful, and with all the Delta chapters that we have and all the chapters doing First Hunt, it is the largest waterfowl-specific hunter recruitment program. And I'll say it on this earth, you know, because I'm just not aware of anything happening off of North America in that regard that even comes close to what we're doing. So it's exciting, and our chapters should be proud because we're proud. And it also makes it a lot easier whenever you're the voice, you know, us as volunteers, the voice for Delta, you know, in our local community, in our area, whenever we're having a banquet or an event, trying to raise money for it, it's easy to, to throw that pitch out there. You know, where's, where does my money go? Where, what is my money doing? And it's easy for us to be able to show that from a local perspective of that we fund our, our kids event we have every year. We, we, Delta, you know, the money we raise off of this, Delta is able, it enables us to keep that to be able to have that program and it's easy to sell that you know for delta well yeah i mean we call that i guess the empowerment model right like it's you know we're here for you guys and and gals you know and and it's a system that you volunteer your time you volunteer you know everybody volunteers their money along with the time it's just the way it goes you know if you're doing if you're volunteering your time you're not doing something else and so it empowers you know, duck hunters to go take matters into their own hands. and It's just a great system. Well, how have you seen that? You, you said you've been with Delta for some time now, almost 20 years. How have you seen that evolve over over that time? Good, good question. Yeah, I started in March of 2001, 
and it, it, you know, I was one of five people in that building and, you know, we've outgrown that building twice, three times. We're, we finally are in a building that I think we can stay in and grow for the foreseeable future, but we did not have a chapter system at the time and we didn't really have an official membership program at the time. We had members, we had some people that were kind of in a disorganized way holding little banquets, but so yeah, 2001, no banquet system. And in 2003, we hired someone to create and, and lead that effort. And that's when the, the revenue sharing program called Waterfall Heritage Fund started as well. And so, you know, along with our membership, our, our banquet system just grew and grew and grew. And we have staff scattered all across the United States and Canada to work with you guys and start up other chapters and, and, um, you know, I think there's, I want to say there's about 16 regional directors that, that that's what they do, uh, work with volunteer committees, establish volunteer committees. So it's a, it's like a whole nother planet. And it's, it's, it's fun to look back and just see the, the positive change, you know, not just growth for the sake of growth, but growth for the sake of impact. It's been really exciting and fun to be a part of that. Well, Joel, I'm not sure if a lot of our listeners know or, or realize this, but you know, and, and really until we got involved with it, I didn't, but hunter numbers have fallen off drastically over the years. And if we're yeah. not doing programs like this, they're going to continue to fall off. You yeah. know, it, it, it's scary. If you spend a little bit of time, I have this little presentation that I, that I give people and I call it the gut punch. And I have yet to give this presentation without scaring the crap out of somebody where they worry about the future. You know, they, they, everybody that hears it goes, holy cow, we need to do something. Because if you look at the number of duck hunters in the United States, you know, we're a little over a million duck hunters right now, but about 30 years ago, we were over 2 million. And if you look in Canada, they've lost, you know, roughly 70% of their duck hunting population. And so it's really scary. You know, we, you know, we went through this little exercise and said, well, how many duck hunters do we want? <laughs> how many is enough? Because, you know, in today's world, there's been a lot of change, urban sprawl of hunting areas, period. And, or, or maybe loss of access just because, you know, access patterns may have changed. And so we figured we're, we established a goal of duck hunters and, and looking at where we are now, we're about, Five to six hundred thousand short. Five to six hundred thousand duck hunters short of that goal that we've established. And Delta can't fix that alone, of course not. But it's it's a you know, the waterfowl community together has a big and ambitious goal ahead of us. And just looking at those numbers, it's it really tells part of the story is that there's this group of hunters that were born between 1950 and 19, about 1960 and 1980 that make the, they, they are the dominant age class of license holders today. And what's happening is they're not replacing themselves. And so we have about 10 to 15 years before that big pulse of hunters ages out of hunting. And so we probably unavoidably are going to have a big drop in hunting participation probably over the next 10 years. And we need to fight like the Dickens to backfill those people. Um, 
I think it's just a change in society. It, it Hunting used to be a hand-me-down. I don't know how you guys got into hunting, but for me, it was every bit a hand-me-down um, activity. You know, my dad, my grandpa to my dad, to me, to my kids. But that hand-me-down system is broken in many, many, many households. You know, it's a generation or two broken. And so those people aren't replacing themselves, and so that's why everybody, you know, you guys, myself, you know, for your job or for your personal life, we all need to go out there and replace ourselves. you know, recruit a new person, um, you know, in addition to our kids. And because not everybody's doing it, we need to, re- we need to replace other people too. So it's a, uh, everybody, it's all hands on deck, make new hunters. Well, that was going to well, be kind of my next question was what did you think really led us to have the drop off that we had? But, you know, you look at available places to hunt, you look at, you know, one of the things I see, and, and Joy, you correct me if I'm wrong, and, and Jeremy, you too, I, well, I know you will, uh, <laughs> if from the time that when we were growing up, yes, it was passed down from, from daddies to uncles to, you know, other family members, friends all hunted, everybody was really into hunting something, it did, whether it was ducks, turkeys, deer, squirrels, whatever. You know, but kids nowadays have so many other activities. You know, soccer practice, girls softball, uh, you know, sports. Uh, I think that somebody said the other day, I think the school association has opened a, I, I call it the Nintendo League, but that's what it, to me it is. It's a gaming league, I think, so they can play games online and actually compete as an athletic sport or I guess a school sport. I'm not really sure if it's considered a sport, but but there's so many other options available to kids now that weren't available when you and I were growing up or when Jeremy was growing up. You know, we were outside country kids, and like you say, with urban sprawl, just people have kind of lost contact with that some, and trying to draw them back in and get them back interested, it, it just presents a really unique challenge. It does. It does. And, and this is kind of one of those 60 minute conversations where everybody has an idea and everybody's right. You know, there's, you know, I could make a list that says access to hunting locations, you know, that, you know, I, I remember as a kid, my dad, you know, we were driving through where the, where the mall is. And he says, I used to hunt over there, <laughs> you know, and it looks nothing like, you, you know, you get thrown in jail if you tried to hunt there today. Um, increased cost of hunting is, you know, it, it might be why someone quit. Complicated regulations. Uh, but what I look at, I call it, I don't know, I, I think I came up with this. I don't recall hearing it from anyone else. I call it urban drift. And, and that to me, it's the lumping of what most people say. You know, it's technology, it's sports, it's a loss of connection to the rural lifestyle. And, here in North Dakota, it's not where I'm from. I'm from Wisconsin, but here in North Dakota, I'll just use it as an example, is that, you know, a generation ago, everybody had a farm that they went back to. You know, they lived on a farm or it was grandpa's farm, grandma and grandpa's farm, and they went home for Thanksgiving or on the weekend, and they always had a place to hunt. It was part of the culture, but, you know, now you're talking about a whole generation now that that lives in a city, and they just don't have that connection to 
I use the farm as a, you know, representative of just that out, that outdoor rural lifestyle. But it's just, it's just a changing world. And the other thing too is I think value systems have changed. And, you know, hunting was something that you just did. And I don't even, when some, I don't know about you guys, but if somebody challenges me to tell them why I hunt, <laughs> it's so hard to put into words. But I think, if you could put it into words, I think the reason for hunting has changed. And uh, I guess the rules of, of engagement, you know, you start hearing things that, you know, there's this been this reemergence of a connection to food, right? Or reducing your carbon footprint or whatever. But I, you know, I, I just think that value systems have changed. The availability of time has changed. Where people live has changed. And so it's, it's not one thing. It's a long list of things, and that's the tough part. Well, I'm going to chime in there for just a, just a second on one thing you touched on, you know, the reason for doing it. Jacob and I are, and several of our buddies had this conversation before that whenever you look, you know, social media, for instance, you can, you can read 10 different posts in a hunting group or, or anything like that, and you can see that hunting itself is not what it used to be. It's a... Uh, if you look at, you know, 10 posts, it can be a beat your chest moment of what I did out there, not that I had a good, enjoyable hunt, went out with some buddies, we had a great time. It's of what kind of picture can I take, how how much can I brag on, you know, what we did. And that's that, at the end of the day, is not good for the sport, in my opinion. I don't know how you feel about it, but that's not something that's that a young hunter can see and thinks that I want to get into that, you know. Yeah, no, it, it's kind of funny. Like you, you uh, <laughs> there, there's these things called focus groups, and uh, you know, high-powered marketing firms do this all the time. They're trying to find what messaging the an average consumer would love to hear and be attracted to their product. And you know, hunter hunting groups, conservation groups do the same thing. Put a group of people in a room that don't hunt. And you hit them with all these messages because, and, and you try, and you try to figure out what is it, like what reason for hunting that you give do they relate to and, and favor the most? And one of the things that you, that, that I hear hunters talk a lot about, well, it's my heritage. <laughs> it, it is. I get it. It, it, it. To probably us guys talking here, you go, yes, it's my heritage too. And, and that means something to you, but when you're talking to the general population that does not hunt, which is an overwhelming majority of our population, are like heritage, I don't give a crap because it's not my heritage, right? I don't understand it. Um, you know, if you're talking about someone who comes from a non-hunting family, the word heritage doesn't mean anything to them either. We have to find a common language, a common, uh, common language, something that Oh yes, I get that. I relate to you. And, um, it's just a different world. And, you know, at least us on the hunter recruitment side, you know, we're constantly testing and modifying our messaging and trying to attract hunters because I guess that old, you know, the old way was you just recruited your kids, your nephews and nieces, your neighbor kids. And, and now, and you just introduce them to the way you wanted to do it. Well, that that model's broken, and it doesn't. It needs to continue, but it's not enough. So we all have to jump out of our comfort zone. We all need to be careful how we represent hunting and 
constantly on your toes is what I would say. And and that's not just, you know, waterfowl hunting. That's deer hunting, turkey hunting, you know, whatever it is, as long as it's, you know, an outdoors, one can lead to the other. You know, I know a lot of people that, that may listen to the podcast, maybe maybe not true duck hunters, they may be wanting to deer hunting, but it, it covers it all. I mean, that same basis covers all different types of hunting. It, it does. It, you know, matter of fact, this is kind of fun one. I've been in, in a room with a couple hundred people. I ask the question, I say, how many people in this room only hunt one type of game? Like just ducks or just deer or just turkeys. <laughs> I've never had anybody raise their hand. Everybody hunts. Most people hunt more than one thing, and I think that's really, really good. Um, you know, I think, yeah, so I, obviously as a waterfowl organization, I want people to, to waterfowl hunt, but I want them to deer hunt. I want them to turkey hunt. I want them to squirrel hunt because, you know, in like I'm, I'm talking kind of in your world, if you lose your lease and you can't find another area to hunt or there's a drought or there's just something goes wrong with your favorite type of hunting, I want people to have another type of hunting that they can change with they can adapt to and we want people hunting because at the end of the day it's hunters that are dropping away waterfowl hunters are nested inside that group so we all have to care about the greater you know good of hunting and of course look after your favorite you know that's your favorite type of hunting that's of course what we all want to do well joel i'm not sure if if your world was the same as mine growing up but people talk about different seasons and for us growing up, there were different seasons. You had turkey season, you had fishing season, you had deer season, and you had duck season. We didn't worry about spring, summer, fall, or winter. You know, everything revolved around which, you know, what can I get outside, what can I go do next? You know, as soon as turkey season got over, we were looking for the next thing. As soon as duck season got over, we were looking, you know, forward to the next one. And I don't think that's... You know, that's just not that's not how it is nowadays. But in what you were saying a minute ago on the focus groups, I do have a question there. What questions have y'all found to non-hunters that get them to relate or get them to try to buy in? Because most of the folks that Jeremy and I fool with all the time, they're already into some type of hunting. They like being in outdoors. That's why they come and talk to us because they, they like our outdoor show and they want to, you know, learn more. They see what we do at Delta. And so you've got me curious on what kind of questions really, really relate to a, a non hunter. You know, one of the, one of the biggest, I guess the overriding uh, messaging is, is food, food. And, and I guess that kind of makes sense, right? Like everybody, everybody eats food <laughs> and, and your desire to, you know, to harvest your own food, it, you know, that's a popular message. It really is. Um, and, and honestly, you know, there's kind of this tired argument that hunters give that I, I think it's time for hunters to maybe be a little more authentic when they talk about why they hunt. You, hunters tend to kind of have a, a knee-jerk when they lead and say, well, hunting fuels conservation. <laughs> and, and of course it does. It absolutely does. But if you're going to be authentic, I don't know about you guys, because I don't hunt for conservation. 
I don't hunt to control wildlife populations. Uh, those are just not authentic. Really coming out of anybody's minds or mouths other than, you know, uh, head of a wildlife bureau or, uh, you know, or a species biologist. They, of course, care about the, care about the money for conservation and they care about being able to control or regulate, you know, animal populations. But it, it for hunting, speak to the heart. You know, talk about family, talk about food. And the other thing that, and, and it kind of depends on where you're at, but people really don't like to be told what to do. <laughs> you know, and it's, uh, it, it's something that you, you believe in and want to do. Well, I know for us, you know, one of the messages we always try to get across to everybody is, you know, especially with duck hunting, there's that family, friends relationship you know i've i've made more friends and and met more people in a duck blind probably than just about anywhere because you you can have that camaraderie you can you can sit there and have conversations that you wouldn't normally have anywhere else you know some good some some not so good but you know if somebody's going through a tough time you can sit there and visit and talk while you're putting out decoys or you you know while you're waiting on the next flight of ducks to come or You've got that time to to really, you know, spend more quality time hanging out with folks, whether it's your family and or kids. Uh, you know, I can't express that enough. You know, folks, if you're not taking your kids hunting, take them hunting. Go spend that time with them. The memories that they learn, the 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 lessons that they learn are just you can't replace them or duplicate them anywhere else. And right. I know. No, you can't. You can't. I know that's a big challenge, but I was kind of wondering because, you know, when I was in college, it was the first time I ever ran into an anti-hunting group. And I'm like, hold on, folks don't hunt. You know, my mama doesn't hunt, but she, she will if she has to. But, you know, she's really not, she likes to cook what we bring home, but she really doesn't care anything about hunting. But, you know, we actually ran into some groups, and I'm not going to get into to different groups, but folks that were just diehard set against hunting, and it's like, hmm. Okay, I'm. Yeah, y'all aren't where I'm from. Oh, uh, but a lot of no. them were. The the more we dug into it, it was it was folks from a local area, you know, from Mississippi that were in in some of those groups, and it was like, wow, okay, that never knew that sentiment even existed. Yeah, you know, and and I'm just gonna, I guess I I will plant a seed, you know, for later this year. There's a, a friend of mine in a in a, another um uh, NGO they commissioned a huge study on on this very subject proper messaging you know it's it was basically basically the largest focus group work that's been done um on, on this subject you know what do the, what are the we call them the 80% it's about 80% of society that doesn't like or dislike hunting they're just fine with it and you know, how do we not alienate those folks? How do we represent ourselves positively? And so basically those results, as I understand it, will be out, you know, before the end of the calendar year. And so I'm excited for that. You know, we'll incorporate those messages. If we're missing some into our programming, we'll put them in the hands of our chapters and to our volunteers, you know, so they can represent themselves the most in the most effective manner um, in their own communities. So that that that'll be exciting. And you say that's targeting towards the eighty percent that really don't have a they're not die hard either way. Yep, yep. You know, 
we'll conveniently group people into three groups. About 80% of society doesn't, you know, they're fine. They don't really have an opinion on hunting. And we kind of, we want to keep them that way. 10% of society is totally against it. Frankly, not worth, um, it's kind of wasted energy engaging with those individuals. And then there's the 10% who are for it. And so, sure, we're really probably recruiting mostly from that 10%. And the goal with that 80%, my opinion, is just to be responsible, be respectful, and let's not alienate those people. Because when it comes to the polls, that is a huge group of people that can, you know, they can swing decisions on anything. And we don't want them to make, you know, negative decisions, you know, when it comes to, to voting um, on hunting issues or access issues. Well, and I'm not sure if a lot of people realize that, but the money's raised by Delta, you know, they go to to really to help make sure that that hunting is still available for the 10% that want to. And with license sales falling off, you know, we need to get those numbers back up to be able to have that voice, to be able to make sure that we have you know, the right people in the right place to be able to make sure that things are open and that, you know, new public lands being made available to, to people that want to get out and, and do things. Yeah. Yeah. We call that, you know, Delta's program, we call it defending the hunt. And that's basically, you know, representing hunters on hunting issues, whether it's a access issue or a land closure or discharge ordinance or, it could be, you know, some flyway wide, you know, hunting regulation that, that we may not agree with, but that's, you know, that you guys probably hear about this too. You, you say, Oh man, I, I kind of like, you know, fewer hunters. I like the thought of fewer hunters because it's, you know, more for me. I don't have to compete with people for a hunting spot. And, and I get it. You know, it's a, that's a great, that's, that's a great thought, but you know, we have to think of, you know, the, 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 the greater good. And when we lose hunters, we lose a voice. And and I guess that's where you kind of bring in the revenue stream. You know, the revenue generated by hunters that we call it the user pay system. If you want to hunt, you need to contribute to its conservation. And if we lose hunters, we lose a voice, we lose the political advocacy, we lose that revenue stream. And it's like anything, you know, when you have money, you have influence and we all want more hunters, whether we like it or not. So to me, the balancing act is while we're creating more hunters, we need to increase areas, uh, the amount of areas for people to hunt. And so, you know, we work a lot with that. And, you know, a lot of our chapters will bring us, you know, uh, uh, maybe an area that's once that was had been open for hunting for a long time now closed. And so we'll dig into that. You know, we'll, we'll work with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to, you know, increase access to refuge lands. And and so we do try to balance that out there. So, you know, while we're out there making new hunters, we darn well better increase the, you know, the available ground for them to share. Well, and, you know, kind of staying in that same line, duck hunting, you know, if you're up north, you, you have more areas you can duck hunt. You know, you don't have to be on water. You've got dry field hunting. You've got different things you can set up and do. You know, when we were in North Dakota last year hunting, 
before I came by the office there and got to visit with. And I, Joel, I don't know if you were there when I got to come by and visit or not. Uh, I know I saw Petrie. I saw Dr. Frank. Let's see, Lisa. Um, I can't remember if you were. I don't think you were there when we came by, but. You know, the North Dakota hunting system is so unique to us, uh, or was to me, that you could actually have private land that anybody could hunt as long as you stayed within the guidelines. Yeah, I, I don't know that I could hunt where you guys are. You know, I've always, having lived in the North, it's, you know, I mean, you find a good place to hunt, you knock on the door, and there's a good chance you're going to find it. You know, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get access, but, um, so yeah, we're not, we're not limited by, I mean, we are, of course we're limited by places to hunt. Nobody ever has enough places to hunt, but yeah, we can knock on the door and go get on some property and hunt it, you know, for a few days or the entire season. Well, see the, one of the battles that we face down here constantly is not having enough. And, and everybody wants to be on the X. Everybody wants the prime prime time location. But whether you're hunting public land or whether you found a piece of property to lease, it's limited in supply. You know, you can deer hunt just about anywhere. Now, are you going to kill the biggest deer anywhere? No. Uh, turkey hunting, there's so much more area, you know, you can availability. But ducks, to be able to be in a, a spot that's comfortable for you or, or works for you and your family or your friends, it's just a little more of a challenge. And I, I wonder sometimes if that's not part of what, has kind of made, you know, our numbers fall over the years is, is availability as much as anything else. I think so. I think so. I mean, it's, I do. I think so. It's, it's, you know, waterfowl hunting, if it's become more expensive, you know, because of leasing or if it's something that you have to drive further to. And I think you kind of bring back in the urban drift and, you know, Jeremy, you were at soccer practice tonight and you, you know, you mentioned kind of before we got going is, you know, you guys are running around and going different places and, you know, it, it, you divide your time a bunch of different ways and you're going to go the path of least resistance and less, or least resistance. Um, a lot of guys do anyway. You know, they might have a, a little, you know, 20 acre woods, you know, near home where they can just jump up in a tree stand rather than drive two hours to the duck hole. So it, because it's all about time and it's all about uh, priorities and decisions. Definitely priorities and decisions because I know, you know, for us, we make it a priority. And if you don't, then you've, you know, you, you've kind of set that, you know, and, and depending on what your what your thing is, you know, everybody's got a different different avenue that they like to chase. So, you know, ducks has always been our passion and, that's one of the things we like to express on here all the time is, you know, what what made you passionate about it? What got you excited and passionate about it? Like you were saying earlier, you know, you grew up hunting. You wouldn't know what to do if you weren't hunting. That's not everybody's case. And like, you know, it sounds like from the numbers, you know, that's about 10% of the U.S. population and even less of Canada's now. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that, percentage of people who actually hunt is far less than 10 percent <laughs> but you know we just kind of conveniently put 10 percent say it's a good thing to do well i know from from our aspect you know trying to trying to explain to somebody why we're passionate about it 
I can explain it. Um, I know Jeremy can. I know you can. But that's what a lot of folks, that, that's one of the hardest things to sell to someone. And, and, and it's not really a sales pitch, but just to convey over to them that, hey, this is the reason I love doing it. This is the reason I spend my time, my energy, my resources doing this is because of the passion that I've developed for it. And, you know, people say passion all the time, passion, passion. I'm passionate about this. I'm passionate about that. If you're really passionate about something, you are you are adamant about it. It is what you think of my duck calls stay in my truck. I'm always tinkering with one playing, you know, if I get stopped at a red light, sometimes I crack the window down. It's what I enjoy doing. It's it's what I wake up thinking about. When I walk outside and see my yellow lab outside, she's getting a little chunk on her right now that we've got to work off. And that's something we're fixing to hit up. It's something that we're constantly doing. You're you're constantly you know, you're going to the skeet range, you're you're practicing shooting, you're you're talking to guys about different areas, you're you're working your dog, you're playing with gear, because uh, good Lord knows there's all kind of gear out there nowadays. And you know, some some works for in some situations, some some works better in other situations. Now, I don't know yeah, if you'll you know, get... I, I do think that's kind of the fun thing about about hunting is it's it's always hunting season. Whether you're thinking about gear or where you're going to go or, uh, you know, honing some of your skills, you know, shotgunning or, or, you know, researching new equipment. That's the fun, right? That is. <laughs> that's that's the... just, well, that's just one, one part of the fun. You're right. You're right. Yep. That's for sure. Me personally, I love to eat. You know, you were, you were talking about <laughs> that earlier about food. Uh, I'm sorry, but something that I have, Harvest is something that I have cleaned, I have prepared, I've, I've cooked. To me, it just tastes better. I mean, you, you can't get a better taste than, than something that you have that much time and energy in. No, that I think that uh, it's one of the the best seasonings that you can, that there is with, with wild game is are the memories, right? It's, you know, I remember, you know, growing up at the, at the supper table, you know, we take out a package of venison and, you know, we marked it in a way that we knew which deer that was. And you tell the story, you know, and the same thing for ducks or fish. And, you know, I think it, it does. It's uh it's that labor of love. It, it, it makes the food taste better. Well, and I like trying new recipes of, you know, different places that we go hunt. And I don't, I'm, I'm sure it's the same with you also, but, you know, I, I hunt a lot of different areas and, go on different hunts and somebody's always got a new recipe uh you know i had a it was duck sauteed duck in basically in dirty rice last year and it was it was just a combination i had never put together and it was like oh ooh, ooh, hey i may have a new favorite uh and whether you're doing poppers whether you're doing you know whatever jeremy loves do gumbo uh whichever one you like to do Kudos to you. We want to see them all. I love to see new recipes pop up online where somebody's tried something new. They've they've smoked one. They've done something different with it. Uh, that's part of what keeps me coming back every day. It is. Yeah, I I, I tell this story. I was uh, I was in college and I had my yellow lab and we were out east or or west where I was living and I was shooting some ducks and 
there was these two guys on out. I don't know. They were off in a distant area, and I see them shoot a duck, and it sailed quite a long ways, and it landed, you know, maybe a hundred yards from me. And you know, half hour later, they came walking by, and I could tell that they couldn't find it. So I'm like, well, I'm gonna take my dog over there. So we went over there, and sure as heck, you know, my dog, my lab, found this bird, brought it to me, and I grabbed it. It was a mallard. And, and I walked over to those two guys and I said, all right, hey, found your duck. And, and I, and I, and I held it out and they looked at each other going, well, and they asked each other basically, do you want it? And the one guy says, no. And the other guy says, well, do you want it? You know, asking each other. And I said, guys, one of you is taking this duck. And, you know, I, I just couldn't understand why the heck are they not out there? They should be excited about, you know, taking that thing home and, and, you know, eating it and, and sharing it or sharing it with somebody. Did right? you ask you them know? at that point what their limit was? Uh, they <laughs> they may have not needed that extra bird and were hoping that you would take it. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were looking for it, but I just, I just couldn't believe it. Like, you know, and I do know people that, you know, that they don't really enjoy the, you know, the, the game, but they know someone that adores it and they share it with them. And, you know, and, and that's all right. You know, that's, that's just fine. Well, for several years, Joel, this really doesn't, you know, we have folks all the time, man, I'd like to try a duck. I'd like to try. So I do give stuff out all the time to let people try and, you know, okay, you want two, you want three. My family is, there's five of us and we're going to eat as much as we can, but what we don't, we do give out. So for several years, I used to go and I would harvest a couple of does for some ladies that, older ladies that they like deer meat and they just wanted some deer meat and i would take the deer take it to the processor and then call and let them tell the processor what they wanted they would come pick it up from there and that was their extent now they weren't buying a hunting license they weren't doing anything with it other than paying for it to be processed and consuming it and they were just as tickled as they could be yep that's just fine with me I, i love that i love to share Oh, I didn't mind. I had some numbers I needed to get off a place, and it was like, okay, well, you know, we're only going to eat two this year, but if they'll take two or three, then, you know, I can I can spend a little more time hunting and and try to do, have a little more fun with this. Now, Joel, I know me. I know over the years and and kind of drifting away, kind of going away and same as going back towards it too. But you've you have no doubt been on some really great hunts. Where are some of your most memorable hunts? You know, uh, boy, you know, that that's a, I think that's a tough question for everybody because it depends on how you look at it. You know, I, you know, I remember my first duck, you know, like it was yesterday. And so that of course, you know, stands out. I mean, it wasn't, you know, wasn't a hunt that, that would make anybody envious, but it was, but it, you know, it's burned into my mind permanently. But, you know, I think some of the, some of my, my favorite hunts, and I hate to say it because we talk about how duck hunting is such a social, social activity and it's with your friends. And, you know, I have some fantastic, um, hunts that I remember, um, you know, with, with different people, but I'd have to say that my, I have, I, I love difficult hunts. I, I love, you know, if I hunt in the mountains, um, you know, for deer, it's, it, you know, it's how many miles could I hike in? And, and a lot of my duck hunting is, you know, I try to pick out areas that, you know, that others aren't going to go to because it's too hard. <laughs> and, 
And I'd have to say it was me and my dog and, and, and a real butt kicker of a hunt that pays off. I think those are what I appreciate the most because I think, you know, I'm 46 years old right now and, and, and I realize that I'm not going to be able to do that forever. So I think those are the types of hunts that I cherish the most are not the slipper hunts, but the, but the, the real hard hunts. Well, in those, you've challenged yourself and your skill and your ability. Yeah, I get that. Uh, I do I do the same, not so much duck hunting all the time, but more turkey hunting. You know, if, if, I'm, if I've had to crawl through briars or, you know, swim a slough or whatever, uh, went on one. I was in Wisconsin this year on a hunt, and I told the guys when I got back, I said, y'all, I'm pretty sure my forehead was closer to the ground than my heels were, and a lot of times... On some of them hills, I went up outside of Alma. Like I'm, I'm not sure. And and when we dropped over in Minnesota, it was even steeper across the river over there. And it was like, wow, who who come up with this? <laughs> that's bluff country, that's for sure. Well, they kept calling them hills or bluffs, and I kept calling them mountains. But they they the gentleman, Mr. Tom, that we were up there that we stayed at his lodge, he was like, well, son, I've never been to Mississippi. It's like, come, come down. It's flat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the whole bunch of the forest has some hills, but we don't have anything that looks like this. When, when we start off hiking out in the morning and you, you wind up sweating before you get to the top, good, there's something wrong. <laughs> That's just getting right. <laughs> but you know, you bring, I think it, yeah. you bring up another good point there. A lot of folks, and I don't know if if you're not into duck hunting, you may or may not get it. But hunting with the dog and the relationship you have with that dog. And I've hunted with some really good ones, and I've hunted with some that made you just shake your head. And, and you know, some of those have been mine sometimes. That that you wondered, you know, why why did I bring that thing? Um, but to me, that's a bond that a lot of folks don't get unless you're duck hunting. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that, uh, that, those dogs are important. Yeah, and a lot of different kind of hunting. I mean, you just don't have the camaraderie like you do when you're duck hunting, you know, whether it be with the dog, with, with other groups of people, you know, it's just a, just a different, different kind of experience. I agree, Jeremy. You know, the one thing that duck hunting has, and, and I say, and I'm just going to kind of peel this back to, you know, kind of the hunter recruitment. Uh, discussion that we had earlier is that, you know, whether you're a deer hunter or a turkey hunter, um, pheasant hunter, I, I think that waterfowl hunting is the best introduction to hunting that anybody can have because, you know, deer hunting, it's all about patience and sitting still. And, and, you know, if, if the, the shot moment doesn't go right, that can be a pretty, uh, difficult experience for someone who's just trying hunting for the first time but with waterfowl hunting well and then bird hunting you know you have to you know you have this adrenaline filled moment where you have to think with a clear head and not shoot the dog and not swing through your hunting partner but with waterfowl hunting you can bring lots of food you can talk you can laugh you can move and then comes that moment and you know it's such a controlled and safe moment you know for if it's a young person or someone who's jittery you can just put one shell in the gun limit it that way um you know you can stand over their shoulder and you can say get ready and you can guide them and look over the shoulder and see what went right or wrong 
And guess what? If they didn't get that bird, guess what? There's going to be another one. They can do it again. And so it's, um, waterfowl hunting is, is the best way to introduce someone to hunting, in my opinion. As long as they don't like, dislike cold weather. <laughs> if you're not, a, if you're not a cold weather person, uh, you, you better dress warmly. And there's enough stuff nowadays that you can, and if you're in a pit, you can turn heaters on. You can do, you know, we, we cook in a blind a lot of times. I'm sure y'all do too, but that's some of the best bacon and eggs you'll ever have is over a, a fire in a duck blind or on a boat, you know, wherever you're set up at. And like you say, you're in timber, you're in, you're in a blind, you know, you can work. We've taken children, we've taken, you know, first time hunters and it's not so much important whether I shoot that day or not. It's, it's more about them wanting to come back and do it again. And that's, yeah, no, that is. to me is the part that, you know, and that's really any type of hunting. That's actually, you know, probably my favorite hunts today. I, I ultimately, if I had to pick one, I would say it's the ones where my kids are involved. And that sounds, you know, that sounds a little overused, um, in one regard, but, you know, I think, you know, speaking to people that have kids that are of hunting age, I, I would imagine that we're all nodding our head right now because it's, it truly is so fun to, you know, to witness my kids, they're 13 and 10 and, you know, watch them harvest a deer or a turkey or a duck. It's, I don't have to, of course, I love to harvest still, um, myself, but, you know, if I had to pick between a gun and a dog, I'd take the dog. And if I had to choose between a dog and a gun and a kid, I'd take the kid, you know, and I'd let them, um, have that experience. It's just, it, it's pretty fun, you know, to, to, to look back and, uh, share those memories with your kids. No doubt. And whether you're sharing them, well, in, in the sense of accomplishment that you have, that's always the part, you know, not saying that that's, you know, self-serving, but, you know, when my child does something good, I feel good. You know, it's, you know, you want them to be successful. You want them to be able to overcome and, and learn new things and adapt to new things. And, you know, duck hunting is one of those in any type of hunting. You can start at any age. I didn't go on my first duck hunt till I was in college at Mississippi State. Uh, I got invited by some guys in the Delta and I'd hunted my whole life, but I had never duck hunted. I didn't know anything about calling. I didn't know anything about throwing out decoys. I didn't know anything about, you know, where to get or where to hide or, you know, how they like to come in based off of wind or sunlight or, you know, whether you were hunting birds that had fed all night or, you know, those are the type of things that you learn by going out and doing, but you can start it at any age. And there's so many options available now if you want to go with a guide service, if you want to go with a friend. You know, there's there's some really good outfitters out there nowadays and you know, if you want to get involved in these organizations like Delta Waterfowl, you can't find a better place to start, in my opinion. That's why we love it and why we push it so hard all the time. And it was well, just... we can't thank you guys enough. That's that's for sure. You know, it's uh, I do this for a living. <laughs> it's it's kind of I guess I call it it's my calling. You know, I I was just talking about with my kids at supper. You know about about calling and it being just something about a certain job or a certain way of life that, that just speaks to you. And, you know, for me, 
that's all I've ever wanted to do was be a wildlife biologist, wildlife manager, and and uh, waterfowl was always my favorite. Um, you know, when it came to thinking of a career, but when working with with duck hunters who are volunteering their time and passion, it, it just it just impresses me every day because everybody has that same thing. They have the soccer practice, they have the baseball practice, they have a job where they travel in a house that maybe needs a coat of paint, but instead they're, you know, they're they're representing themselves and duck hunting and, and fighting for that future. And I, it's, it's just impressive. And it, it motivates everybody, you know, at Delta to, to be around that. So it's, it's fun. Oh, for sure, man. Well, look, we enjoyed it. We're running out of time, but before we go, tell everybody how, if they want more information, how to become a member, how to get involved, where would, where would they go to get that? If they want to be part of Delta. Yeah, no, awesome. Yeah, probably the, you know, the, the easiest way to learn everything on one place is our website, which is just deltawaterfowl.org. You can join a member. You can find the chapter there. You can donate. You can look at all the different programs. So you can talk about the, you know, look at the different duck production or hunt, hunting programs that we have out there. Um, it's all there and more, you know, but also it's a great opportunity to, you know, on social media, you know, our, our marketing and communications team does a great job of, of putting good stories, uh, information, whether it's products or issues or research products, you know, on Instagram or Facebook or just, or the old fashioned way, Jeremy, just pick up the phone, um, find that on our website too, or, or give us a call at, you know, 701-222-8857 and, and, um, you know, you can talk to, you know, our CEO, Scott Petrie, or anybody that answers the phone. And, and that's the great thing about Delta 2 is we're all accessible. Absolutely, man. Well, we enjoyed it. Thank you for being on with us. And everybody, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Outdoor Country Talk. God bless. God bless. Well, ain't nothing like a southerner. Lord, to make you feel all right. I got the windows down. I got the radio on. 